Hello and welcome to the Health Perspectives Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Moore. And welcome. Today's topic is going to be of interest to you if you've ever had or are going to have surgery. We are going to learn a lot about our centers of excellence when it comes to surgeries and the how and the why behind it. You know, our program is here to educate the everyday person, the consumer of healthcare services, which we all are at one point or another. Knowledge is power, and that's where we're coming from today. So our guests, I'm so glad to introduce are Emily Dix. Emily is the coordinator of our Center of Excellence here at Northeast Georgia Health System. And then Dr. Andrew Green. He is a physician specializing in gynecologic oncology. He's also on the faculty of the University of Georgia Medical School and also our graduate medical education program here. He has been the director of robotic surgery program since 2013 and is the current director of the Centers of Excellence. So we've got the right people. Welcome to both of you. So let's just start with some basic information and just talk a little bit about what is a center of excellence. Which would you like to take? Which of you? I guess I can start with that one. So um, the Center of Excellence program takes our existing program and really reviews it um, from an outside source. So we can really look at our data to see how good we are compared to national standards, um, make sure that we exceed those national standards. And it's a way to really track our data so that you know, we're not just advertising with opinions or talking about what we do. We have data so that when I have a patient who comes to my office, they say, well, is this program any good? I don't have to just say yes. I can say yes, comma, and here are the numbers that show what we do. And I think that's the real benefit of the Center of Excellence. So am I right? Is it the Surgical Review Corporation that does accreditation for these programs? Or how's that related? So they are the accrediting body for this. Um, and I'll let Emily talk to the details that they undergo because it is a um, very focused review, I think, is one good way to describe it. It is. It's a focused review. Um, the Surgical Review Corporation is essentially it's a nationally accredited uh, patient safety organization. So what they've done is get together um they credit facilities, providers, and it's all based on a set of recommendations and requirements um, following best practices in patient care. We're looking at quality outcomes, and so the requirements they set forth that our programs have then fulfilled have kind of backed our own practices, and they allow us to um, serve patients based on a set of safety standards. Great. So... Am I correct in assuming not all surgery programs are accredited in this way, right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, we're right now the first and only one. We'll, we'll always be the first, but we're also the only one in the state of Georgia right now. Great. And is that, is it in certain specialties or is that a, a blanket accreditation or so you can get multiple specialties. We have done this for not only robotic surgery, but for minimally invasive GYN, for colorectal surgery, and for hernia surgery. Um, so you can do different things um, with that. They have other subspecialties that you can do, but those are the ones we've chosen to do that we really focus on in our robotics program. So would you recommend when patients are, whether they're, you know, because our listeners probably come from anywhere, um, 
so before they have surgery, it might be a good question to look into if, if a program is accredited. If they don't have good access to data, I think it's a great entree question. Um, some programs will publish their own data, but this is a, a national standard um, mm-hmm. that if you meet this national standard, it automatically, um, automatically puts you in the top percentiles uh, of programs around the country in patient safety and in patient outcomes. And if I'm the one who's having surgery, those are the two things I care about is safety and outcomes. Definitely. So is it a pretty rigorous process, Emily, to go through this to be accredited? And can you talk just a little about that? Absolutely. It is a rigorous process. Um, You know, aside from the requirements and the work that our institutions have done up front to gain accreditation, we've had site inspections. Um, We collaborate within our own subspecialties. to meet all of these requirements. The data, as Dr. Green spoke to, is a huge requirement. That is something that's not only something we do up front, it's ongoing. We continue to assess what we're doing from a quality standpoint with all of these programs. And so it's just, it's a a rigorous thing and it goes from our staff to our patients all the way up to the providers who are performing the surgeries. It's an institutional level thing. You know, and we take this data and review it routinely every other month looking for trends that may be problems, things that we can do better. So it's an active review. Um, And a lot of of places really don't do things like this um, because it does take a lot of time. And the hospital has given us the resources to do this, which just shows the the global focus we have on patient safety and outcomes here. Um, And and I think it's one of those things that we all kind of have wanted to do for a while to increase our, our, our visibility to our outcomes, not only to us, but to the public as well. Um, And it's really allowed us to really dive deep into some of those things and make sure we're doing as good a job as we think we're doing. So do you think there are other areas that we'll be going for accreditation in the future? Possibly. A lot of this is physician driven. Mm -hmm. So we had to get a group of physicians who cared enough to really drive this. Um, Don't get me wrong. Emily's the one that makes it happen. Um, But we had to really push this through to try to get it going because we thought it was something valuable for our patients for for us just to be able to have this data because it's not just at our fingertips. It takes a lot of work on Emily and her team's time and effort to to be able to get this data. So we had to have institutional support to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it originally all started the the driving factors were the physicians involved. So short answer is maybe if some other service lines want to do that. That's great, though, that the physicians are really involved in this. Yeah, bariatrics has done it. They have a center of excellence through a different um, organization that bariatrics does. Um, and so we've done some other things throughout the system. Can you, would you mind just for curiosity's sake, just maybe expand just a little bit on or give some examples of the kinds of quality and outcomes we're looking at? So um, things that we track routinely um, through the centers of excellence that we're having, I guess, better access to. We're looking at length of stay. We're looking at readmissions. We're looking at what's called a geometric length of stay number, which shows how sick our patients are to how long they stay in the hospital. Um, we are looking at, um, 90 day and, um, I think 120 day mortality. I think those are the two, um, because those go again with the medical diagnoses and things like that. Cause uh, surgery is inherently dangerous. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. And if you take a population of people that have a lot of medical diagnoses, we need to coordinate that. Um, it helped us get our pre-surgical clinic started here at the hospital, um, for NGHS. And that's really helped management with our hospitalist colleagues. Um, and so the data kind of goes on and on with that kind of theme about what we're looking at. Yes, because 
There's so much talk recently about the quality of care, not the volume, but the value, I guess, or some of those buzzwords, but they really mean something to us. Yeah, and, and value is a, is a combination of not only value to the patient, but the value to the community, because if we're not doing a good job and we're filling beds with patients who need to be at home, but they're having complications, well, if you have a heart attack, it's kind of like when we were in COVID and we didn't have beds. It's a bad thing. So this really helps us drive that value and quality um, to maximize those benefits for the patient. Well, tell me this. What have we not hit on that you guys would like to talk about? Well, I would just I would say that, you know, what we're doing is we've really worked at standardizing the care that we're providing to our patients. Um, we're doing that physician to patient, standardizing the everything from the pre-op teaching to the post-op teaching, trying to improve those outcomes. The education is extending to our staff. We want our staff to know what's going on with our centers of excellence and be aware of the clinical pathways that we've developed that are all based upon quality care and standardized practice. And so it's just kind of an all-encompassing collaborative process. And our goal is just to, to grow these programs and to reach patients and provide them with a quality of care that's backed by these Center of Excellence accreditations. And I think uh, along that line of the standardization is a lot of patient education because we have some standard stuff that we do so that all patients kind of get educated. I, I think in a better way than a lot of times that we, we used to do it in the way our, our offices all function um, so that patients are getting a certain level about this is going to happen to you. This is what your experience is going to be. And I think from a quality of experience for the patient, it takes a lot of anxiety away and a lot of fear away. And I think that really, really helps with the, the, the patient's experience as they come through the system. Most definitely. And just the knowledge that these are best practices. And when you say standardized care, just for, I guess, our listeners who may not be as familiar with that in the medical realm, I mean, it's kind of doing this, doing it the same way every time based on those Right. I think that's a good way. An example I use when I'm teaching my medical students is um, something as easy as genetic testing. And this doesn't really apply to surgery, but all ovarian cancer patients should get genetic testing. Yet in the United States, only half do. 100% at my practice do. Mm -hmm. And so taking that in the operating room, when you take those standard work things, they are based off the best practices around the country. So we share our practices with some people. We should get best practices from other organizations and places like SRC combine all that data and find out, okay, you do this well, you do this well, y'all add this together and one plus one can equal three sometimes because it really mm -hmm. magnifies it. And so by doing that, it really decreases risk, it increases um, quality of care. Uh, and when you do the same thing over and over the same way, there's less room for error. And, and so that's where standardization is, is really a big, it's a buzzword, yes, but it's really a philosophy that's changing in medicine over the last 10 to 15 years. Yes, proven. It's really proven. Right. And it really should give patients a lot more confidence for sure. Okay. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for listening today. Um, if there's a takeaway from today's conversation, it's that it's, it's good to do your research before deciding where you'll have surgery. Are they accredited? Maybe if not, maybe find out why. So continue to listen to us here on Health Perspectives. You can hear us anywhere podcasts are found. See you next time.